I could get you all to stand in honor of the reading of today's preaching text. Psalm 38, sorry, Psalm 138, a psalm of David. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. And and for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answered me and strengtheneth me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet he has respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thy right hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O God, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. You may be seated. If I could ask somebody for a glass of water. So we'll get a little group participation right off the bat here. Has anybody been to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan? You've been there? Okay. So everybody knows what Lake Gitchigumi is, right? Does everybody know Lake Gitchigumi? No, people are shaking their heads. No, thank you very much. We call it Lake Superior, but the people uh, who originally inhabited uh, that area, the Ojibwe, of which my wife is one. They named it Gitchigumi, and it just means the big sea. Nobody panic. But I'm going to talk about a group that we ran into when we were up there. They're known as the Holy Protection Monastery. They're an interesting bunch. They live on the shore of Lake Superior, year-round. For those who have been there, it gets very cold, and they get piles of snow. They're one of the few people who live there through the winter. They are, of course, Roman Catholic. They support themselves by baking bread and making jam. But when they decided to go there, they realized that the world was a troubled place. And it was just a handful of men. And they said, what can we do? What could we possibly do to affect a dying and troubled world? And as you may know, this is what they do. Besides making bread and making jam and growing really great beards. They read the Psalms. They teach the Psalms. They pray the Psalms. They chant the Psalms. And they sing the Psalms. And they pray and sing and chant these Psalms in such a way that God's mercy would affect the entire world and that peace would come. Now we can fault them for their doctrine. We may even fault them for their long beards. But I can't fault anyone who dedicates themselves to praying the Psalms that peace would break out in the world. I use this illustration because that's where we currently find ourselves. If you see in verse 7, this is us right now. 
though I walk in the midst of trouble. We're always surprised by trouble, aren't we? We are quick to think, I've done something wrong. Or we've done something wrong. And there's a time and a place to evaluate that. But we tend to jump there really quick and think, surely we have done something wrong. But I want to read the words of Jesus to you. He says in John 16, he says, These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But what does it say? Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So he promises several things here, right? He says, you will have peace in me, and in this world you will have tribulation. And then he tells us how to act in the face of that tribulation. Be of good cheer, because he has already overcome the world. And then I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, yea, And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So for you note takers, that's trouble, tribulation, and persecution. Any of those sound relevant at the moment? Is anybody feeling that here a little bit at Foothills? It's legitimate that you do. Don't want to discount that. But what I like about this psalm is David was a man who knew trouble. David was a man who would get down, who would despair, who would, as we would say today, he gets the blues, right? And, you know, you may, you may throw me out here later or bring me up on charges, but I contend that David was many things. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a warrior. He was a songwriter. But at his core, David was a blues man. You read the Psalms with a real eye, and you will see that they are blues songs, many of them. And then we have a whole book called Lamentations. How long, O oh Lord? How long is a classic blues line? But unlike our modern, secular, perverse blues, David also offers the solution. He hits it right out of the gate in this song. I will praise thee with my whole heart. means this whole being, his mind, soul, strength. We've been talking about that several times already, right? That's how he loves the Lord. He praises the Lord in the same way with everything he has. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answered me, and strengtheneth me with strength in my soul. David knew trouble. But he, like the men who live in Michigan, he knew how to respond. He knew that though a man of war The true warfare was one of praise and one of worship. This word we have here for praise means to give thanks. means to acknowledge what is right about God in praise and thanksgiving. 
But there's an interesting root in this word. It can also mean, and is translated several ways in the King James Bible this way, twice it's used for throwing stones at an enemy. And for once it is used for shooting an arrow at the enemy. David understood that it was warfare. Jeremiah 50.14, if you want to write it down, is one that talks about shooting arrows. There's another thing that is connected with this praise, though, with this giving of thanks. We see it in 1 Chronicles 16.34. Oh, give thanks, there's our word for praise. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. And here comes the concept that we're going to hit a lot today. For his mercy endureth forever. I think I sent out a little thing on Slack some time ago about the word hesed, right? And to say it properly, it has, that H has to catch in the back of your throat. I don't do it very well. Um, but, you know, it's like you got a furball or you need a drink of water. Ezra 3.11, and they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks. There's our word. They gave thanks to the Lord because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This was a, a great moment in uh, Israel's history. They had been in captivity. They had sinned against the Lord. They were on the big time out in captivity. The Lord brought them back, provided everything they needed, and they were uh, raising a shout, giving thanks to the Lord uh, for his mercy, for his faithfulness. Think about this for a minute. The Israelites, the covenant people of God, had sinned against their God. Do you remember their sins? Their two crimes against God. Idolatry and adultery. Both capital crimes. God told them that they were going to be punished. But he also told them in his mercy, in his faithfulness, he would bring them back. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So your first charge for today is to praise the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Praise is your first task. The second one is like unto it. It is sing praise or sing praises. This word means to play an instrument or to sing with musical accompaniment. We've done that some here already today. Psalm 101 says, I will sing of mercy. And judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I can't stress enough that this praise and this singing of praise is joyful. But it's hard work if you understand what you're doing. You are singing down. You are praising down those principalities that spiritual wickedness in high places. You are drawing your sword and going to battle. Especially on Sunday morning when we gather as God's people in God's house and we stand in this room and though trials and tribulations be about us, we sing. The world thinks we're crazy. 
right? Because we look defeated. Many of us believe we're defeated, but we're not. And the next one that David recommends, lives, is to worship. Praise, sing praises, and worship. Worship means to bow down, right? This is an interesting idea that we have, we have movements going several directions. Our praises go up. Our hands go up. Our faces even Go up to see the Lord while we bow down before him. That is, of course, physically and uh, spiritually, we bow before him. Psalm 95 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. I love how Hebrew repeats. O come, let us bow down and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. So your task today, right? Praise, sing praise, and worship. Which begs the question, why? What are we praising? What are we singing praises about? Whom are we worshiping? You see, we are children of the Most High God. Children of the Most High God. And if we are children, then surely we have a Father. Brothers and sisters, little children... I want to introduce you to your Father. For we are praising and singing and worshiping Him because of His nature towards us. It is for His loving kindness. It is translated many ways in the King James Bible. It is translated as kindness, Loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness, love, acts of character. This is a little side note for you fathers. Is this how your children would uh, describe you and identify you? This is our model. Psalm 109, 26 and 27 says, Help me, O Lord my God. O save me according to thy mercy. That they may know that this is thy hand, that thou, Lord, has done it. I'll repeat something we, I think we prayed together earlier, Psalm 103. This is what we have to sing about. This is why we worship. This is that nature of our Heavenly Father towards us. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins. That's what mercy is it's not getting what you deserve. 
he has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west. I love this picture. As far as the east is from the west. Because these are really undefinable points, right? It doesn't stop. You can always keep going east. Or you could always keep going west. They are infinitely separated. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so it flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. We are just but a, a vapor, the scripture says. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I love these time words here. The mercy of the Lord, His steadfast love, His kindness towards His children is from everlasting to everlasting. When did everlasting begin? When does everlasting end? He uses time words that makes no sense to us. We have no, no way to calculate from everlasting to everlasting. And see, as soon as I put it on a timeline here with my hands, I'm showing my human nature. I'm showing that I am the creature, right? And not the creator. Because I, I instantly, by nature, want to put it on a timeline, right? I want to have an Excel spreadsheet and see where everlasting starts and see where it ends. But that's, that's not what he's doing here. He's saying, look, you are a vapor. Like that is your life. But his mercy towards us is from forever to forever. From everlasting to everlasting. And it is to you. His mercy is to you by name. And his mercy is to you by name and to your children. And his mercy is to you by name and your children by their name and their children by their name. That's what it says right here in Psalm 103. Right? But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his commandment, I'm sorry, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them like we talked about at nine o'clock, right? But I have to ask you a question here. It says to such as keep his covenant. Are we required to keep his covenant? Somebody say yes. Are we able to keep his covenant. Yes. Somebody say no. no. So who keeps the covenant? Jesus does. God does. That's what that word mercy means. It means he is the faithful covenant keeping God. His steadfast love endures forever. In Deuteronomy, we read this. Deuteronomy 7. This is talking about you. 
Right? I want you to see yourself in this story. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. You see, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord thy God, your father, he is God. The faithful God. Here it comes. Which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him. That is astonishing. Know therefore that the the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments. How long? Somebody say it. You know it. Well, it's close. It's to a thousand generations. A thousand generations. How long is that? How long is a thousand generations? Well, the easy way to figure this out is to figure out how long a generation is, right? And there are various numbers which you could point to in the scriptures to prove how long a generation is. Generally accepted amongst the theologians, the smart guys, as 40 years. So how long is a thousand generations? 40,000 years. 40,000 years. How long is 40,000 years? Give me a ballpark time of history at this point. Say it again. Come on, talk. It's about four times the age of the earth's Four times longer than all of history. Wow. Wow. See, God talks in these time frames that we just can't even really get our heads wrapped around. He's going to be faithful to a thousand generations. 40,000 years. You know what that means? That means we're the early church. Right? The last part of this verse... um, gets a little tricky and talks about his truth, which his word is truth. And then it goes on to talk about, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And this gets a little tricky. And the theologians aren't all together on what this means. And they're way smarter than I am. Okay? But we know what truth is, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Thy word is truth. Jesus is the word, right? Now has magnified thy word above all thy name. This is actually going to get back into what we talked about a little bit this morning. This, this um, we didn't call it a, a natural revelation, right? So what is what we can see? All right? So he has magnified his word, special revelation, above 
natural revelation. But that doesn't really get us there because the word is Jesus, right? And this promise, this, this covenant promise, this mercy that endures forever is like nearly everything in the Old Testament embodied in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ as the living word has been magnified above all that we can see. All that we know. Does that make sense? All right, well, we'll let Jonathan Edward explain it to you. He's the smart guy, right? Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. The meaning is, thou hast done far greater things in thy faithfulness and truth towards thy people and in fulfillment of thy promise and word to them than all that we have heard thou didst of old. Thy word and promise to us of what thou wouldest do has been beyond all thy name, or all the fame that we have heard of thy great acts of old. And thou hast fulfilled these great promises to us, and so hast set thy word and truth and loving kindness to us beyond all that has been reported of thy deeds of old. And Charles Spurgeon says, It is his word which creates, sustains, quickens, enlightens, and comforts. As a word of command, it is supreme. And in the person of the incarnate word, it is set above all the works of God's hand. I just want to take a moment and uh, enjoy God's sovereignty over today that so much of what we talked about this morning at 9 o'clock is, in fact, right here embedded um, in many of the things we're talking about now. So his loving kindness, his mercy, His steadfast love, his covenant faithfulness, this is indeed a picture of a good father. And as we move down to verse 3, it says, In the day when I cried, thou answered me, and strengthened me with strength in my soul. We have a faithful father who hears us when we cry. When we cry out to him in despair, when we sing the blues with David, we have a father who answers. We have a father who is not too high and lofty to come and visit his people. But we see by example here that when we're troubled, when there is tribulation, when there is persecution, we can cry to our Father. And He will hear. And He will come. And He will strengthen you. It's just amazing. We feel like when we get in these times, these dark times, we feel like all, our, all of our strength, all of our energy, all of our motivation is just sapped. Right? When things, are, when things are stressful, especially within God's people, our strength just goes away. And David points to the solution right here. Cry out to the Lord. 
Pray to your heavenly Father. You lack strength because you haven't asked for it. He already knows. Why are we so slow to do this? R.C. Sproul would say, what's wrong with you people, right? I love this line from Matthew Henry. If you're not reading Matthew Henry, you should. He's great. His commentary is, uh, reads like a devotional. On this verse, he says this. He says, note, listen to this phrase. Those that trade with heaven by prayer. Those that trade with heaven by prayer grow rich by quick returns. That's amazing. Those that trade with heaven by prayer grow rich by quick returns. See, what we do is we don't pray and then we grow poor over a long period of time, right? And we suffer unnecessarily because our pride gets in the way and we think we got this. For any of the grammar Nazis in the room, my apologies, but you don't got this. I want to try to finish up here. I'm probably going to run long. Um, so it's interesting that David works through the beginning of this psalm, right? And he talks about his personal experience and he praises the Lord and he sings praises and he worships and he prays. And then there's this weird section in the psalm that shows up, right? At four and five. Take a look at it there with me. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, they shall sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of of the Lord. Let me ask you this. Were all the kings of the earth of God fears in David's time? No. But by faith, he understood that this mercy of the Lord, that this covenantal promise that the children of Abraham would be a blessing to all the families of the earth, right? That we would go and disciple all the nations. David, through the eyes of faith, could see the reality of what that mercy of the Lord would lead to. That's astonishing. Oh, that we would have eyes of faith to see the victory in the Lord's mercy. So we talked about the Lord being high, yet he's not too high to come down and comfort his people, right? And then, and then David says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, which we use that to set the context of where we are right now as foothills, right? We are experiencing trouble. I pastored Providence Church for 18 years. It was 18 years of trouble. Maybe it's me, and I brought it down here to you guys. You're welcome. The Lord uses trouble. You know that, right? When we have it easy, you know what happens? We forget the Lord. We think we're doing it. And he brings trouble. And he brings more trouble than you can handle. You know that, right? He gets you in over your head where you have to depend on Him, and you have to depend on each other. The interesting thing about this mercy, this, this hesed, right, is, it's, it's, it is it is a fundamental character of God. And you can follow it through the Scriptures, and we're not going to do that today. You can follow it through the Scriptures, and He expects you to start dealing with others in that same way. That you extend mercy. 
that you are steadfast in your love. That's another sermon, so we won't talk about that. All right? But what, is he, what does he talk about here? He says, when I'm in the middle of trouble, I've cried to the Lord. And what does it say here? It says that he revives me. He makes me alive again. This word revive here is related to breath, breathing. God breathes his spirit into us again, right? Just like in the beginning when he takes some dirt and with apologies to Nathan Wilson, he takes some dirt and God muddies it with his breath and makes us alive. And when you are down in the dumps, when you are in despair, when you are in that spiritual Egypt, he delivers you out again and restores your life to you. He breathes his spirit into you, and you are strengthened, you are revived. And and what does it say? He keeps going here, right? He stretches out his hand against the wrath of his enemies, and he saves his people. Think of them coming out of Egypt, right? He delivers his people, and he destroys their enemy. Time and time and time again, we see this in the scriptures. Why don't we believe it's true for us? He knows our frame. And He knows that we are dust. And He knows that we die all the time. Right? We have one little bit of trouble and our faith burns up in flames and we die. It's amazing. But what does He say right here? He says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Jesus shall come and save me again. And then it says, and the Lord will perfect or mature that which concerns me. He will take these times of trouble and he will use it to perfect me, to sanctify me, to make me more and more like Jesus. Right? That's what it says here. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Thy mercy, that everlasting mercy, that everlasting love from everlasting to everlasting, right? Again, here's one of those repeats in Hebrew. So his everlasting love endures forever. Everlasting faithfulness endures forever. It never goes away. You know that, right? Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. In that great book of Blue Songs, Lamentations, chapter 3, it says, It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. We know this passage. We quote this passage a lot. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. I won't go back and read it all, but I want you to make a note. Lamentations chapter 3. I read read 22 through 26. I want you to go back and start at 17 and see the context. Because the writer of Lamentations has, has died. He's his spiritually died. He's, he's out of gas. He's got nothing. The steadfast, everlasting, covenantal faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Thankfully, his faithfulness is not like our faithfulness. The steadfast, everlasting, 
covenantal faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Psalm 136, which is sort of the epicenter of this word hesed. You know it, right? For his mercy endures forever. It answers every, every phrase with his mercy endures forever. Um, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 13, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's really interesting here because David, David knows this. He knows that when he loses his religion, he has to go back to the Lord and that he is revived, right? That he's refreshed, that he's strengthened. And yet right here at the end, he makes a plea and he says, Lord, forsake not the work of your own hand. The Lord will perfect and make good on all his promises concerning his people. I like this phrase. Exercised his people must be. So the trouble we're in right now is just a little exercise. It's a little trial run. Exercised his people must be, but forgotten they shall not be. The Lord says to each and to all, as he said to Jacob, I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to you. Genesis 28.15 says this, Behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done all that which I have spoken unto thee. We know it better in Philippians 1 6, don't we? Being confident of this very thing. That he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This being confident, this, the word confident contains the word fide, right? Which is, which is faith, right? That's why we have Fido, the faithful dog. It's fide. Being confident of this very thing, having faith in the Lord, that he is faithful. And that he has begun a good work in us. We have confidence that he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But because it's me preaching, um, we have to go to Ephesians to close. Because I like Ephesians. Right? Ephesians chapter 2. So when trouble comes... When tribulations come, yea, when persecutions come, when you're singing the blues, crack open your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. And start where it says, but God. But God who is rich in mercy. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, 
Even when we were dead in our sins, He has quickened us together with Christ. He has made us alive again with Christ. By grace you're saved. And He has raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Paul is stumbling over himself trying to express this well enough. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. Because even the faith, right, is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are His workmanship. We are the work of His hands. We are his poema, right? You know this one? The word workmanship there is poema. We are God's poem. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. But God, who is rich in mercy, His mercy endures forever. It's new every morning. Embrace it afresh. It endures forever. It is from everlasting to everlasting. He is faithful. Let's pray. Almighty God, who glorified your word, In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, stretch out your hand and save us in all our troubles. That we may with all our hearts bear witness to your salvation with praises and singing and shouts that go through all the earth. And with singing and praises that join the music of your heavenly hosts. We pray in Jesus' name that you would revive us again. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.